Hola, buenos dias. Como están, mis amigos? That's for you guys. Just want you to know, all right? Yes, hey, the McConnells are here, here with us still. It's awesome. And Terry's going to be preaching in the Spanish service at 1230, right? All right? So if you don't like what you hear here, go down there at 1230. Be perfect. Hey, it's so good to see you guys. You doing okay? I love our students right here in the front row, Bibles out, pens, taking notes. And they're actual sermon notes, I can tell, right? You guys doing okay? Seem a little quiet today. You nervous? Hope not. It's great to see more people coming on campus. Thanks for joining us online. We continue to do that as well. Uh, Daniel mentioned that child care starts next Sunday for birth through five-year-olds for worship services and those serving during those hours. Uh, then we're going to kind of slow roll this thing back. Then we're looking at child, sorry, children's life groups and student life groups back on campus a couple weeks after that. Then we're starting to slow roll adult life groups back on campus here uh, if you need it. But I still want to challenge you to consider what you've been doing for the last seven months. Can you continue to do that? And some of you can't. I get that. You need the child care. You need the place here, whatever. But consider, there are a lot of churches, millions of churches that do this, big churches that do this, and they don't have life groups on campus. So it kind of fits into this church deploy. Just because you did it before doesn't mean you have to do it again, right? So just think about it. Just pray about it. Consider that opportunity to continue to do what you're doing out in the streets. We will have life groups back on campus, and we're getting close to announcing some dates when that all happens. But really, I want you to consider that still being the church on your block. This is not a fad. This is not going to go away uh, when we have a vaccine or an election or whatever happens to, to end this thing. This is our new mindset at First Burleson. We are the church deployed. We, we've always been, and maybe it's a redeployed or renewing of deployment ship. I don't know how that works. But we're not going to stop doing what we've been doing the last seven months. We're still going to be the church to the community that God's placed us in and to the ends of the earth. But this is the last sermon in the church deployed series, and I want to use it as a warning to you. Because I want you to realize, as we continue to flesh out, play out, understand what it means to be the church deployed, not everybody's going to be excited about it. Not necessarily one in the church, though I hope, but the people in the community, your neighbors, are not going to be super excited that you're going to come and talk to them about Jesus. I challenged you last week to know the first and last name of the neighbors that live three houses to either side of you or across the street, wherever it is. But I, I want to make you aware, when you do that, if you haven't done it already, if you do that, you're going to meet some Mormons, you're going to meet some Jehovah's Witnesses, you're going to meet some atheists, some agnostics, you're going to meet some Muslims, some Buddhists. Just be ready. Robin and I, we lead a Young Mary Life Group at our house every other Monday night, and we just started going through Tim Keller's book, Reasons for God. And I love that. There's a video and there's a book, and in the video, he's actually having God conversations with, he's the only Christian in the room. But the thing that stands out about it is they, they are very nice to each other. <laughs> They're able to discuss and disagree in, in a nice manner. I think we've lost that in our culture, that we can reason together, we can debate together, without getting angry and calling each other names. I think that's true in our society. I, I think it's becoming true in our church, churches, right, where it's, it's us or them. And, and I hate that. I hope that we can, I hope part of this pandemic has moved that away from us. But the ability to reason with someone of a different faith or of no faith 
should be our approach, to be able to have a, a congenial conversation with someone who disagrees with us without being angry. That's why I really like the term people who are far from God. We used to, the term is lost people, or I think even in the church we put people in categories at times rather than seeing them as people. We see them as numbers, or again, us versus them, which is not God's heart at all. Some of the topics that we're dealing with in our life group um, some ob- objections that maybe you hear too. Isn't the Bible a myth? Hasn't science disproved Christianity? How can you say there's only one way to God? Why does God allow suffering? That's always a big one, even the problem of evil and suffering. How can a loving God send people to hell? You may have heard those statements. You may hear those statements as you begin to tell people that you're a Christian. As you become the church on your block, again, not everybody on your block is going to be excited about that. So this, this kind of last sermon in this series is really to prepare you for what might be ahead. But it doesn't diminish the fact God has called us to be his witnesses wherever we are. In fact, it should embolden us to some degree to realize that, that there is an enemy out there that seeks to destroy. And the people that oppose us, they are not our enemies. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. The Bible is very clear because Satan doesn't want anybody to come to saving faith in Christ, but yet God wants everyone. And so we are that vehicle, we're that mouthpiece, we're that instrument with our life and with our words. It, it tracks with what was happening in Acts with the New Testament church because they faced major opposition as well. As Jesus had been resurrected, he ascended into heaven and he commissioned his disciples to carry on the work that he started in the earth. They faced major oppositions. One was that Jesus was Messiah. As they preached and proclaimed this, even the Jewish leader, their own people, the people I used to go to temple with, were like, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. That's not the Messiah. We know what the Messiah is going to look like. That wasn't him. And then they said that God raised him from the dead. That was even more. That causes more heartburn for people. Oh, no, no, no. And so that's what they're dealing with. And that's what we saw in Acts chapter 8, where Stephen was stoned to death because he was proclaiming the gospel. And we saw where the church was deployed out of Jerusalem. After Pentecost, they were hanging out in Jerusalem because there was strength in numbers, it was comfortable, but then God dispersed them. He deployed them back to their hometowns. So, and, and the Bible says, as they went, they shared the gospel. That's our commission. As we go, as we live, make disciples, share the gospel. And so we saw that. We saw the Holy Spirit come down at Pentecost in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 4, we see the disciples, the apostles going out, performing miracles, casting out demons, healing people, proclaiming the truth of the gospel. And so, in this essence of warning us to be ready and be prepared for what might be ahead for us, I want us to look at Acts chapter 4. If you have your Bible, open to Acts chapter 4. I want to start reading with verse 5. If you don't have it, it'll be on the screen. Peter and John have just been arrested for preaching the gospel and healing. But even in the midst of great persecution, Luke in his gospel tells us that the number of the church had grown to 5,000, 3,000 at Pentecost. Now there are 5,000 men, so he doesn't include women and children in this. The number could be twice or three times as much. So the church is exploding. Paul, Saul, who eventually becomes Paul, and the other Jewish leaders are trying their best to stop the church from growing, which was known as the way. This was a movement known as the way, and they were trying to crush it. Look at verse 5, Acts chapter 4. The next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. 
They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power, what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, talked about that last week, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called on account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we can be saved. That's our doctrinal statement. There is no other name. The stone that had been rejected has now become the cornerstone, the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Now again, Peter and John had healed a lame man who was sitting at the gate called Beautiful there at the temple in Jerusalem and begging for money. And they came along and said, we don't have any coins for you, but I have something better. How about you start walking again? And they performed a miracle, full of the Holy Spirit, able to do this thing. And so again, we see this, as we talked about last week, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? We, I use that illustration of a dad walking with his child. As a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you. It is the guarantee of your salvation. And most of us just day-to-day walking with God. We're safe, we're secure, we're loved. We feel a part of his family. But every once in a while, our Father picks us up and swings us around and holds us close and pulls us in. I'm so glad you're mine. I love you. Let's, let's do something big together. And then after that, he puts us back and we continue to walk. So this is what we're seeing with Peter here. He has the Holy Spirit. It came down at Pentecost. Now the Holy Spirit is magnified in his life as he speaks, and he and John are brought in this difficult challenge so they see the power of the Holy Spirit. The first thing they do is something you and I need to pay attention to. The first thing they do is give glory to Jesus. He says, listen, you, you people and all the people of Israel, this man that you see here walking who used to be lame, you know him. You saw him at the gate every day. The reason he's walking is because of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They took no credit on their own, though they were the ones that said walk and he was healed. You and I, I hope you understand that you were redeemed by Jesus Christ. You were designed by God to give glory to God. That is our number one focus. The reason you're still here, the reason God doesn't take us up to heaven the minute we accept Jesus is because we are his representatives. We are here to bring glory to God, not ourselves, not First Baptist Burleson, Jesus. And that is true for our church. Everything we do, from promises ministry to life groups to meeting together to fellowshipping together, all of it should be centered on bringing glory to Jesus Christ. Because that's, otherwise, what's the difference? What's different than anything else going on in the world? You and I were created to bring glory to God. Amen. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. All right. We're working on that. That's fine. Okay. So they experienced God in a new way, a fresh way, and that resulted in power and courage, right? They had just experienced Pentecost. They saw the tongues of fire land on their heads. They began to speak languages that they didn't study for. And so, man, they're jazz, right? So, like, just bring it on. Just whatever, let's go, let's get it. And that's what they're doing. Look at uh, verse 13, Acts chapter 4, verse, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. 
And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Two significant facts here. These were unschooled, ordinary men. They hadn't been to rabbi school. They hadn't been to religious training. They were just ordinary men. Can I tell you something? You do not need a seminary degree to be used by the Holy Spirit. Said all the people in school right now. (laughs) You don't even have to have a high school degree to be used by the Holy Spirit. I think you have to have a kindergarten degree, but that's really more of a certificate, right? And, and, hey, I'm not knocking education. I'm a firm believer in higher higher education. I have a doctorate, right? So I believe in higher education and pursuing that and being trained. But it's not something we have to wait for to be used by the Spirit of God. These guys, the only criteria they had is that they'd been with Jesus. Guess what? If you're a Christ follower, you have the same criteria met. You have been and you are with Jesus. That's the second thing. They were courageous, but they'd not been trained. But these who were accusing them could tell they'd been with Jesus. It was noticeable. Mark 13, verses 9 through 11. This is Jesus back in the Gospels before all this happened in Acts preparing his disciples for what they're going to face after he ascended into heaven, and they carry on the work that he started. Listen to what Jesus said, Mark 13, verses 9 through 11. You must be on guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. That is so cool, (laughs) right? I can't share my faith. I don't know what to say. Just start the conversation. The Holy Spirit takes over. He will give you the words to say. It's amazing. Like, I never thought to say that. No, you didn't. The Holy Spirit did. That's why you said it. He gave it to you, right? But what Jesus is saying here to them is he's saying the same thing to us. And I hope, I pray to God that when you came to Jesus Christ, people did not tell you your life is about to get better. I hope that they didn't sell you this. If you just come to Jesus, all your problems are going to go away. Because the reality is they probably increase more. Say that? If you're living for Jesus, your life is probably going to get harder. I mean, you can stay complacent and comfortable and kind of avoid all this, or you can be on fire for Jesus and endure and face the suffering that's going to come because you are proclaiming the truth about Jesus Christ, which not everybody agrees with. It really depends on what kind of Christian do you want to be. You want to be that lukewarm Christian, just kind of hanging out, chilling, enjoying the blessings of the faith, but not really engaging in the faith, and Jesus is going to spit you out of his mouth? Or are you going to be on fire for him? Be willing to take. Man, it's tougher, but it is so much more rewarding, so much more exciting. You know, one of the things we say, we want every one of our church members at some point to go on an international mission trip. You, You have got to get out of the Bible Belt. If it's just seven days or ten days, you've got to get out and see what the rest of the world is like. See what, where the gospel is exploding. In most places, it's, it's where it's trying to be oppressed. Where there's opposition and persecution against the gospel, that's where we see it exploding the best. Just like here in other countries. Uh, the McConnells are here. They're missionaries to Guatemala. Uh, they, they, man, you guys got to be connecting with this. Courage and power and strength of the Holy Spirit called out of what was here to go and do that. Another person in our, in our congregation, Donna Poole, uh, for the last several years, Donna has been on a trip, led a trip to Haiti uh, to do missions there. And so a year ago, we shot a video of Donna, and I want to show you that video because she's going back, that team is going back uh, here in a few weeks. So they're able to go back. Finally, that's awesome. That's one of the things I hate about this COVID-19 
that we haven't been able to continue with our mission trips and stuff. But they're going back, praise God, they get to go back to Haiti. In fact, she's going to be out here in the commons after service if you have questions. Uh, they can use some more folks to help if you would like to do that and see her. But here's a little video, and I want you to listen very closely to what she says. Because a couple of statements she makes that, that really resonate with what we're talking about today. So watch this video. Hey, my name is Donna Poole, and I've been at First Burleson for about 20 years. I just got back from a mission trip to Haiti where we did medical missions in the Central Plateau. This is my 19th trip in the last eight years, and um, it has been radical in changing my life. So um, right now in Haiti, there's a lot of civil unrest, so there was a lot of question about whether our team should go or not. But basically, we all felt like God told us to go and that um, it was worth the risk, and we were willing to follow the Lord no matter what he told us to do. Some of the things that were going on in Haiti right now is that with the civil unrest and the collapse of the economic uh, part of the government, um, there's a lot of rioting. Uh, the challenge was being able to reach our destination and uh, at all and provide um, the medication and health care that the people in the Central Plateau needed. Uh, with the way the government is running right now, people are not working. They can't afford to get medical care. They can't afford to go to the doctors. Um, even if people can go to the doctors, the clinics have no medication. Um, the staffs aren't, aren't being paid. And so it's a real challenge for them to step out in faith and continue to do the work that they do. We normally on a, any given trip will go and do six clinics in different rural villages. Um, because of the fact that we shortened our trip this time and the civil unrest, we had to stick pretty close to one area. So we did three rural clinics and we worked in the physical clinic one day. So we were able to see 424 patients and we were able to prescribe 1,460 medications. Um, so that provided vitamins, antibiotics, antihypertensives, um, just the whole gamut of whatever came in, uh, people were treated for and they had their needs met. Um, another thing that's really cool about our rural clinics is that we have relationships with these pastors and we're able to pray over the village and the clinic before it starts. So um, I think that's a really huge impact that people know we're there to serve their physical needs, um, but that only God can do the healing and provide the healing. And so that's our prayer over them is that they realize that the medication is temporary, but God is the real healer. So here's my challenge to you. God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. He uses the broken to reach the broken. If you feel like you have nothing special to offer, I'm gonna tell you, you do. I felt like I had nothing to offer when I started this journey eight years ago, and God has radically changed my life. He has shown me that by using the gifts and talents that I have, I can reach out to another culture and engage them by meeting physical needs so that spiritual needs can then be met. So find, find a place to serve. Find a place to plug yourself in. Whether you have medical skills, whether you have evangelistic skills, whether you just need to love on people, find a place to plug yourself in and serve the Lord. God uses us, the broken, to reach the broken. 
Man, is that so cool? God uses ordinary people to do the extraordinary, right? You and I are very ordinary, right? When's the last time you experienced something extraordinary? That, that's our God. He does extraordinary things. Broken people to reach broken people. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just say yes. That's exactly what these guys did. And so I love this. I love what Donna's challenged to all of us. It takes courage. It takes boldness. Hey, my goal is to get to every continent on the planet. I've got two left. Rob and I have been on mission trips. We've been in some places that were scary. We've been in some places we had to get out of for our own safety. But I got to tell you, it's exhilarating, man. It, it, it'll fire you up. If you've never experienced something like going overseas, yeah, it can be crazy scary, but it's something that there's just no way to, to experience or explain it other than to do it. So God has called us to a point of courage. I pray that God breaks our heart for what breaks his. Broken, broken people over those who are far from God that have been broken by sin. They need to know there is healing in Jesus Christ. They need to know there is redemption and restoration in Jesus Christ. Those people that live on your street that drive you bananas. They need to know that there is healing, restoration, hope in Jesus Christ. You know him. Why would you not tell him? Do you hate them that much not to tell them about Jesus Christ? I mean, man, we can sit in our little holy huddles. Yeah, 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 we need to do this, we need to do this. And we, and we go away and we don't do it. Man, I'm tired of that. <laughs> Aren't you? And we can talk church and look church and act church. But God said, I want you to be the church. Just like he said, let's stop going to church with that mentality. Let's start being the church. I mean, let's come and get energized so we can go out and share. The second thing he said, they've been with Jesus. Now, I confess to you, I love Starbucks coffee. I know, judge me if you want, right? And I don't stand for all they stand for, obviously, but, and I think about that every time I'm sitting there drinking Starbucks coffee. <laughs> but I love to go, I love to go when you used to go inside and be able to sit. And before COVID-19, I was at, going to a pastor's conference and I'd gone early and sat at Starbucks and got some coffee. So I was awake for the meeting. And when I walked in, one of the pastors says, you've been to Starbucks, haven't you? I didn't have a cup or anything. How'd you know? You smell like it. <laughs> you've been, you know, you just kind of, like some of these barbecue places, you leave, I know where you've been. You've been around barbecue because you smell like it. I don't know if these guys smell like Jesus, but people notice they've been with Jesus by the way that they acted, the things they said. Wouldn't that be great if somebody walked up to you and said, I can tell you've been with Jesus? Wouldn't that be cool? How do you know? I can just tell. I can smell him on you, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? I don't know. Somebody needs to bottle the Jesus smell. I don't know. Let's sell that, right? Hand sanitizer, Jesus smell. There's something. And there's a sense of urgency here because... We need that same sense of urgency. And I know you think, well, that's for somebody else to do. That, that's great for somebody. That's not for me. I pray that through this pandemic, we have a new sense of urgency. One of the reasons is because I'm afraid of what's coming down behind us. The generations that are following us and, and their concern towards those who are far from God may not be to our level. And if it slowly diminishes, at some point, it's just not going to be any concern for anybody. And I'm not knocking millennials here, but this is just a, an article that I read from George Barna, who's a Christian researcher. And he came up with these statements, uh, do, doing some surveys on millennials and evangelism. And this is what he found. 47% of millennials agree it is wrong to share one's faith with someone of a different faith. 73% of millennials feel they are gifted at sharing their faith. 40% of millennials believe if someone disagrees with you, they are judging you. 
65% of Christian millennials have, believe that people will take offense if they share their faith with them. And yes, they're right on that. No doubt. People will take offense. Jesus is a stumbling stone. People will trip all over him because he is the one way to God. He is the one that died for our sins. He is the one that God raised from the dead, conquering sin and death. You start saying that, people are going to call you all kinds of names. So, yeah. But we cannot depend on somebody else. We cannot depend on the next generation or the next generation to do what we're called to do. We're called to be his witnesses. Look at verse 24. Acts chapter 4, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided should happen beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. After they were in that and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I really tried to time that statement with the train coming by that we hear every Sunday morning. It didn't work. But I thought, how cool would that be if this building shook a little bit? What would you do? Probably hit the deck, right? Earthquake in Texas. Wouldn't it be something? God demonstrated, he reminds them that, hey, I'm here with you. Notice their prayer. Look, God gave them power in the midst of suffering. He gave them strength to face the suffering. He didn't remove the suffering. That's key. Several things they were doing, we see in this passage, they were united in fellowship, so they were meeting together, which is important. God calls us to meet together. We need to be together. They believe God is sovereign, so they believe he was in control. They cried out for him to demonstrate that he was in control. And their prayer was saturated in Scripture. So they knew the Scripture, and they're praying the Scripture. If you've never done that, I encourage you, pray the Psalms. It's, it's incredible. They spent a lot of time reflecting, worshiping, praising God. And this just increased their strength and increased their ability. But what I want you to notice is they did not ask for boldness. Not only did they ask for that, they also received healing. They received power as they meditated on God's attributes in direct contrast to what they were facing. So here's some thoughts. Don't just ask God to take away your worry. Meditate and pray in his wisdom. Don't just ask God for more confidence. Meditate and pray in his grace and love. Don't just ask God for more self-control. Meditate and pray in his holiness. These guys had nothing to worry about, whether they were protected by God or whether they were killed for the faith. The Bible says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So in Christ, we know that even if we die for our faith, it's, it's better because we'll be with him. What's interesting, this same court that just released these disciples 
was the same court that crucified Jesus. Some of the same guys, some of the same people had Jesus crucified, but now they release these guys who are proclaiming the truth about Jesus? That's a God thing, right? God's showing he's in control. What stood out to me is they do not pray for protection, but they pray for the glory and the presence of God. They didn't even ask God to change their circumstances. They didn't say, hey, God, cause these guys to chill out. Get them off our back. No, they prayed for God to be glorified. And he assured them the presence and the place shook. And all this is happening in the face of persecution. Let me remind you what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 15 and 16. The spirit you received, the Holy Spirit, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about by your adoption to sonship And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's why we have power and strength. The Holy Spirit is the opposite of fearfulness. So if we are spirit-filled, like we see here with Peter and John and disciples, that means we are fearless. If you have the Spirit of God, you do not have a spirit of fear. Therefore, we are fearless. The Holy Spirit is the opposite of fear. He is courage. He is strength. He is power. Look at verse 17, Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Pretty cool. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they'd been told and began to teach the people. We see a continued empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Being put in jail didn't stop these guys. An angel of the Lord shows up and opens the door. How awesome is that? What would you do if an angel of the Lord opened the door to your jail and said, go and preach? You have a decision to make, right? Do I do what's comfortable? Do I do what's, what I've been warned against? Do I follow the civil authorities? Or do I do what God says for me to do? We see here that these guys make a decision. Look at verse 27. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Can we put that on a t-shirt somewhere? Come on. We must obey God rather than human beings. If the government came and said, you cannot talk about Jesus anymore. If you do, you're going to be thrown in jail. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your friends. You're going to lose family members. You're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your car. What are you going to do? I'm going to obey God. Really? Are you really? We are so isolated from this. (laughs) But there are people today who will be killed because they will not stop talking about Jesus. All over this planet, thrown in jail, families torn apart, houses seized, cars seized, livestock seized. 
Because like these guys, we have to obey God. We must obey God. There's really no choice. Would you be able to say the same thing? You guys remember the Columbine shooting? Columbine High School, Colorado, 21 years ago that happened. This past April. Horrific story. 12 students killed and a teacher by these two guys. And one of the stories that came out of that, uh, there's actually a movie about it called I Am Not Ashamed. It's a story of Rachel Scott, Rachel Joyce Scott, a student there. And one of the guys walked up to her and said she knew, he knew she was a Jesus follower. She had been kind of witness to him. And he said, you still believe in Jesus? And she said, I sure do. And he shot and killed her. That's in the United States of America. That was 21 years ago. How much has happened since then? I am not ashamed. In fact, that's the next series we're going to go through as we look at the book of Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Are you? Are you ashamed to tell people you're a person of the gospel? Are you ashamed? What are they going to say about me? They're going to judge me. They're going to put me in a category. I'm going to be judged because I say the name of Jesus. Yeah, you will. But imagine if these guys had a shied away. Look at verse 40. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. <clears throat> the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day, <laughs> so cool, day after day in the temple courts. This is the Jerusalem Jewish temple where they were kicked out of. In the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Man, let's be that kind of disciple. That nothing that comes against us could ever stop us from teaching and proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. I want to be that kind of church. How about you? I want to be that kind of follower. How about you? but it's going to hurt, <laughs> but I'm going to suffer. Yeah. These guys rejoiced. They left rejoice. They just got beat up. Bloody and bruised, they left rejoicing, and they didn't stop for one minute. Why? Because they counted their lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that not our church verse? that we would live our lives in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. You have been called to come and die for Jesus Christ, to live as a disciple. Do you rejoice when you suffer or do you complain? You get all ticked off when somebody rejects you because you're a Jesus follower? Or do you rejoice because your life is encountered worthy to bear, to proclaim the name that is above all name, the only name by which we can be rescued from our sin. So here it is. Gang, if we're going to be the church that God called us to be, if we're going to be the church deployed, we have to be ready to face opposition and to suffer. Maybe not here right now. We may be rejected. I don't know that we're going to have to suffer. But it may be coming. 
Maybe our children, our grandchildren will. But none of that should stop us. Hopefully, it makes us more courageous. So last week, I challenged you to, to get to know the first and last names of the neighbors three houses down. Now I'm going to ask you to start to pray for them by name to the Father. I hope you've met some Christ followers. I hope you've met some folks that you can connect with spiritually because they're Christians. And I hope you've met some people who aren't Christians. We can pray for all those. We all need prayer. Let's pray. God, thank you um, that you've called us to be courageous. You've called us to be bold. I pray that we're inspired by Peter and John, the other apostles, the other disciples, who we believe all those other apostles were martyred for the faith. They gave their lives for you. They were killed because they wouldn't stop preaching and teaching. God, may that be our battle cry. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter worldwide pandemic. It doesn't matter if we can't actually gather together on campus. We are not going to stop teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. We're not going to stop praising, worshiping Jesus Christ. We are not going to shy away. We are not cowards. You didn't call us to be cowards. You call us to be courageous. And because we have the spirit of power within us, we can be. To be a good neighbor, to, to share our faith, to live our faith. Thank you that the spirit that is within us is not a spirit of fear. Because there's so much in this world to make us afraid. But God, I, I pray that you would start here with First Baptist Burleson, that you would set us on fire that you would break our heart for what breaks yours, that we would not make any excuses, we would not get comfortable again, but we would be diligent to go out and share our faith through words, through actions, through lifestyles, through all that we do, that everything we say and do will bring glory to the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, so that others who are far from you may know you the way we do. And God, help us to start by being the church on our block. That those who live around us know that we love and follow you and that we love them. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.